his word. And uh, we read from the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Amen. Maybe see. Okay, sure. There's some things that just can't be unseen. And uh, pray for our staff. No, that was great. Let us pray. Let us pray. Lord, uh, you are faithful. As we gather um, around the scriptures this morning, I pray that you speak to us and reveal yourself more clearly to us. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray, amen. Well, good morning. If I haven't met you, Pastor Anthony, and uh, so glad you are here in person or online. Um, our gospel reading is our main text for this morning, and uh, the main character in this story, it's Thomas. Now, what's the nickname that Thomas has been given throughout church tradition? Doubting Thomas. I actually think that's unfair. I'm going to argue that that is, an, is not the right nickname he should have. I haven't come up with a nickname for him yet, but it's not doubting. Um, first, to kind of understand why I think this, we need to put ourselves in Thomas's sandals, if you will. Imagine you are a young Jewish man, and uh, you've already been told by the religious elite that you're not good enough to become a, a, a religious leader, to become a rabbi. And you're in your family's trade, and you're just living life, and this, this man, this rabbi, this itinerant preacher comes up to you and says, you, come and follow me. What would you do? Yes, sir. You drop your, your whatever your trade may be, and, and you leave your family, and you follow this man around for three years with 11 other knuckleheads. And over those three years, you start to see this man, this Jesus from Nazareth, Start off by, you know, turning water into wine. Ah, cool party trick, Jesus. You see him start casting out demons. Odd, but interesting. You see him walk on water, which just freaks you and your buddies out. And then you see him raise a dead man from the grave, bring someone from death to life. And over those three years, you are drawn to him. You see him go around reinterpreting the scriptures you've lived under your whole life to be more beautiful and compelling than you could ever imagine. You see him go toe-to-toe with those who abuse power and politics and religion. But so much so that those in power started to kind of get fed up with him and sentence him to death. You witness this man that you have probably come to love deeply, be betrayed by one of your fellow disciples. You see him go through a sham of a trial and you see him murdered on a tree, executed as the worst of the worst criminals would be executed. And you find yourself here, alone, 
scared, terrified, wondering what's next. Was this all worth it? What, what do I do now? Will my family take me back? Can I go back to my trade? Where we, are we wanted men now by the state? Is our fate the same as Jesus to be crucified? And we see Thomas join his other disciples behind locked doors because they are afraid of what's going to happen to them if they are found out. And you make your way into the room and, and your other brothers that you've been living life with say, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. I can only imagine Thomas like, guys, bros, it's been emotional. We are tired. We are hungry. We are spent. But you know dead people don't come back to life. Sure, we witness it once, but the one who rose the one from the dead, he is now dead. What are you saying? No, we've seen the risen Lord. And if you look at this text, nowhere does it say Thomas doubted. There is room for doubt. Doubt is, I'm not sure, I'm wrestling with this, this is too hard to believe, but... He said, no, unless I shove my fingers in the wounds in his hand and his side, I will never believe what you are saying. I will never believe it. That's unbelief. That's not doubt. It's unbelief. But can you blame Thomas? Dead people don't come back to life. If actually you look at the other disciples in the room, follow their story a couple verses back, and they actually had a similar encounter that that Thomas will see has with Jesus. Jesus appears behind the locked doors to the other disciples. Thomas isn't there, and, and he says to them, Peace be to you. He says, Guys, look at my hands, look at my side. And they're filled, they're glad, they're filled with joy. And he breathes the Holy Spirit upon them and sends them out. He commissions them to share this good news. They had seen the risen Lord, but follow that before that. How do they know about this? Beginning of John 20, there's this announcement that the tomb is empty. John and the the disciple whom the Lord loves, (laughs) or Peter and the disciple whom the Lord loves, get to the tomb and it's empty. They freak out and it says, and they believed. Then you read Mary, Mary Magdalene, mistaken Jesus for the gardener and and Jesus reveals himself to him. And all these people had witnessed the resurrected Lord. And Thomas comes into a room and they say, we have seen the Lord. You'd probably be going, "Uh uh-uh, you've lost it. Then jump to verse 26, and it says, Eight days later, Thomas returns to the locked room. And I don't know what happened in those eight days. I can only imagine, speculate, that Thomas was a mixed bag of emotions. That at one part, he's thinking, okay, these other guys I've lived my life with, are they all lying to me? Is there, maybe there's some truth to what they saw. Like we saw Jesus do some miracles. Maybe something happened, but no, dead people don't come back to life. And he is torn. He's divided. He doesn't know what he believes. I could only assume. And I don't know why, but he decides to go back with the other disciples. He's behind locked doors. And all of a sudden Jesus appears. 
And I wonder if the other disciples like, oh, hi, Jesus. <laughs> and Thomas, I can only imagine, ah, yeah, yeah. And then Jesus looks at Thomas, I can only imagine, locks eyes with him, probably with a smile on his face. Hey, Thomas, I heard the other day that you were saying, unless you put your hands in my wounds, you'll never believe. Oh, brother, here I am. Stop unbelieving and believe. I think many of us read that story as as really Jesus condemning Thomas. Stop believing and believe, but that's just not Jesus' character. Imagine he's looking at him with compassion, and he knows he's struggling. He knows that he's stuck in the middle of Thomas' unbelief. Jesus meets him where he is at. Is here, here's what you need. Stop unbelieving and believe. And then Thomas, we don't know if he touched him. I don't think that really matters. He says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And he makes this beautiful confession of faith. And then Jesus says, have you believed because you have seen me? Yeah, and he's not condemning. This is a rhetorical question. Of course you believe because you have seen me. Just like all the other disciples, just like Mary, you have seen me resurrected from the grave, and now you believe. And then he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I think Jesus asked that question and said this statement, not for the sake of Thomas, not for the sake of the other disciples, but for you and me and everyone that has come since that first generation of followers of Jesus to say, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are the people gathered in Bethany on Sunday morning. Blessed are your grandchildren. Blessed, Lord willing, my grandchildren who believe yet have not seen. It's as if John, Jesus himself is echoing the prayer we see in John 17 where Jesus first prays for his immediate disciples. Lord, make them one so the world knows they are one by their love for one another. And he goes to say, I'm not only praying for them, but I'm praying for those who are to come who are going to believe because of their testimony, because of the words they speak. And they didn't understand, but because of the, the, how the Holy Spirit's going to lead these people to record the story of Jesus and pass it down from generation to generation to generation. Christ was praying for you and for me and those to come after us. So what does this mean for those of us living in the greater Austin area in 2023? I still believe Jesus shows himself in miraculous ways to people. But I think most of us probably have not seen the physical resurrected Jesus. It would be an awful evangelism tool to to go to my friends who aren't believers, like, I've seen the risen Lord. They'd be like, you have lost it, weirdo. Last service, we had our, our confirmands, and 
And this was, this was the point where I came down and got on their level. But I have the same words for us this morning. I think the first point we can understand from, from this story is that the importance and power of community. We are individualistic people in the West. I am. I know it. Y'all are. You know it. But these, these students that were confirmed into the faith, they were confirmed into the faith. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have come to believe in Jesus, that you are a member of the faith, a communal movement of followers of Jesus that expands over all your preferences, likes, and desires. You are baptized into the body of Christ. And it's in that community that Christ reveals himself. This whole series, series excuse me, is birthed out of, uh, we're calling it What is Truth, and it's birthed out of this phenomenon of deconstruction in our culture. And, and it started with Alyssa Childers being here and, and sharing why we believe what we believe and how we know it's true. And, and for many people, as my generation below, and I've sat with many of you and your children and, and your grandchildren, they have slowly been removing themselves from the community of faith. And as that happens, their hearts grow colder and colder and colder to the point where they say, I don't believe anymore. This whole thing is a scam. And I charge those young people, because I can say that now, the young people. So they have to listen to me because my beard is gray. I said, here's the deal for sophomores. You're going to go off to college or a job or something in a couple years, and you're going to be around people who don't believe what you believe, and you're going to be weird. If you go to college, you're going to have a philosophy one-on-one class, and in 30 minutes, that professor will try to deconstruct your faith. And I'm actually happy that they're going to experience that because it means they're going to have to wrestle with what they actually believe again. I shared with them that I went off to my first year of college, like, I'm going I'm to convert San Diego State. And within three minutes, boom, I looked way more like the culture than I looked like Jesus. I started to get separated from a church, and I started to look much more like the culture and had questions and doubts and worries and concerns about what I believed. And God and his goodness brought me back to a church that taught the Bible. It wasn't Lutheran, but that's okay. And I was able to find a community where I could start unpacking and wrestling through real questions and doubts and concerns about what it means to follow Jesus. And God in his goodness kept me in the faith. And I challenge each one of us, I'm preaching to the choir because you're here when it's beautiful, 65, sunny. You can like go to a brewery right now and probably have more fun, but you're here. Go do that in like a half hour. I think if anything, what COVID taught us, this is not an in-person or online debate at all, but it's about being part of the family of God. The more and more as I witness what's happening in the church, we have all heard it. I, I, I follow Jesus. I just don't go to church. I follow Jesus, but I'm just not part of his community. That's like saying, like, I'm married, but I never go home. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, okay, like, technically, yeah, but like, is there any relationship there? 
Well, I don't go to church because I don't agree with everything. Me neither. <laughs> There's weeks I'm like, Jesus, I don't agree with this text. Love my enemy? No. All my money is yours? No. I work hard. I pledge allegiance to the king, not the state. What? I don't believe half of this stuff I say half the time, but I have to say it because I have to hear it back from you guys so I am in the community of God hearing the creed, hearing the Lord's prayer. So I charge those students, stay in the community of faith, and I charge those parents, keep them in the faith, because statistically... Confirmation is not a yay. This is the beginning of something beautiful, but it's bye. We'll see you later. Statistically, we may not see most of those students or their parents again. And I'm not judging them. I'm just being honest. Like, parents, if you wonder why your kid's not at church, are you? You wonder why your kid's not reading the scriptures, are you? You wonder why your kid's not following Jesus, are you? I hope you feel the weight of that. Not guilt or shame, just the weight. But the other charge is not just on them personally, but on us as a faith community. Are we a place where people with doubts and questions and unbelief, can they come in and ask real hard questions and not be condemned and judged, but to be welcome and say, that's a really interesting question. Let's talk about it especially younger generations are having to think and process through questions that I never had to think through or process. That many of you never had to think through or process. And if they come in and ask questions about sexuality or politics or justice or racism or all the things that you're probably going about, and we say, well, the Bible says this, so just believe it. I wouldn't come back either. But to have a conversation and say, come and see. Come and experience the family of God, no matter what you believe. Are we those kind of people? And I really think we are. But can we, can we lean into that more? And the second thing, Jesus alone changes hearts. Jesus breathed his Holy Spirit upon the disciples in that first room gathering. And he said, now go tell people about this. And, and they're faithful. Thomas comes in. We see in the risen Lord. Did that convince Thomas? No. Were they being faithful? Yes. What changed Thomas's heart? His interaction with the resurrected Messiah. I cannot change any heart. I cannot change my own heart. You cannot change your your child's heart, your grandchild's heart, your neighbor's heart, your boss's heart. So what do we do? We proclaim the good news that we have seen and experienced in the resurrected Messiah. See, Thomas's confession, John records it. He says, my Lord and my God. And John and his literary genius is tying, this is in John 20. It's one chapter before the end of his gospel. 
And he's tying it all the way back to the beginning where he says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John is tying a nice little bow because his whole gospel is showing that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the King of Israel. He is the Redeemer of the whole world, my Lord and my God, the same God that John opens his entire book with. He's saying, Jesus is God. But Jesus says he is the word of God. He is the living word. For Protestants, we have a very narrow view of what the scriptures are. We think it's just the recorded books of the Bible. Yes, they are. But the living word is Jesus. Who reveals himself through the recorded scriptures. The living word is active now as it's being proclaimed to you. The living word is active in a few moments as you come and partake in the, in the sacrament. When you go to your workplace, when you, when you um, tell your children that you are forgiven, when you don't hold grudges, when you live out the kingdom things. I, we have a, a new person visiting us, and he's in the correctional uh, system. And, and the way he shares the gospel, he was just telling me his story, is beautiful. And hearts are changed because the living word is active, he, Jesus alone changes hearts. Which brings us back to the parable in the sower from two weeks ago. That all we can do is sow the seed. Just make it rain. <laughs> and God alone will bear fruit where he sees fit. Stay connected to the community of faith. May we be a community of faith that allows room for real, hard, honest questions and doubts and even unbelief and trust that Jesus is active in his word because he is the word. I want to leave us with these words from 1 Peter. Peter is writing to a community, most of the New Testament, who did not witness the resurrected Savior. They were believing off of the testimony of those who had gone before them. And, and Peter writes these words to that community, and, he, and, and they are still active for us today. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Let me get our slides up there. There we go. Obtaining the outcome of your faith. The salvation of your souls. So friends, may Jesus continue to form us more and more into his image for the sake of those who do not yet know. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for the church. And I thank you that you alone sustain us that by the power that we are given of the Holy Spirit and our baptism you actually use us we pray for the people in our lives we pray for them right now by name under our breath the people we're praying for to come and believe may we be equipped to whimsically and faithfully share our faith say we have seen the risen Lord and trust you are active in their lives. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray.